Okay, this morning we're going to go back to my favorite book of the Bible. We are going to look again at another very familiar story in Daniel. You know, we grow up as children, many of us, hearing these stories and listening and, you know, being enthralled. And God always gives us something new, always something to enliven and refresh our understanding of him. So we're going to look at the story of Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to do quite a bit of reading. So I hope you are ready to hear directly from the word of God. So Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together, pay attention here, the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 3, then, here they come again, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Going on in verse 4. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the... Oh, another list. Okay. At what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye shall fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a fire, burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of, here it comes again, the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Did you get something out of that, those first seven verses? What was there a lot of? Lists. Who said it? Lists. Thank you, George. Lists. I mean, lists of people, and then lists of where they came from, who they were, and then lists of instruments, list, list, list. You heard them all twice. Did you catch that? Yes. You heard everything twice. What is happening here is that there is a unified group of people. Isn't unity beautiful? Yes. Mm. There is a unified group of people, and all the leaders from all the provinces, from all the ter territory of Babylon were brought together. They are described as a group of people, 
nations, languages, and I hope you're immediately thinking of some passages in the book of Revelation where nations, people, languages are brought together. And look at what they're brought together for. Why? For worship. And there is a threat of death if they fail to worship. Is this ringing some bells from another book? Daniel and Revelation go together. So if you're reading something in one of the books, it should ring bells in the other book, right? And look what's interesting here is that how do they know when they're supposed to worship? Music gives the cue, a harmony of music, a unity of music. Now I'm going to pause here. I, I debated if I should share this next portion or not, but I think it's an important topic to, to talk about. We're going to take an interlude and talk about music. You're not going to hear from me. You're going to hear from the Word of God. Yeah. Okay? Christian Education, pages 62 to 63. We've got a lot of reading here to do, so stay alert. Music was made to serve what? A holy purpose. What, what was the purpose of music? It was a holy purpose. To lift the thoughts to that which is what? Pure, noble, and elevating, and to awaken in the soul devotion and gratitude to God. So who created music? Absolutely. And look at what he intended it to be. Going on. Music forms a part of God's worship in the courts above. There's music in heaven. And we should endeavor in our songs of praise to approach as nearly as possible to the harmony of the heavenly choirs. I think I heard some of that yesterday during our divine service. Singing as a part of religious service is as much an act of worship as is prayer. And I would say congregational singing. But there's a problem. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1. Music is the idol which many professed Sunday keepers, is that what it says? Sabbath-keeping Christians worship. Music was created by God to lead us to devotion to who? To God, to worship God. But what have we Sabbath keepers done? We worship the music. Satan has no objection to music if he can make that a channel through which to gain access to the minds of the youth. And remember, we're all younger than God, so that makes us all young. <laughs> so, when turned to good account, music is a blessing, but it is often 
not once in a while, not on occasion, but it is often made one of Satan's most attractive agencies to ensnare souls. So going back to Daniel chapter 3, in this one chapter, we hear music mentioned over and over and over again in relation to worship. Look at these verses. We read chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 and 7 also. Okay, those, those musical instruments are mentioned there. Then if we go to verses 10 and 11, you know the story, so I'm just skipping to these verses. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Right? There it is. Again, the same list given verbatim. And then in verse 15, now, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Why would Daniel spend the expensive time of writing this down over and over again? Not once, not twice, three times. It wasn't easy to scribble this out back then. They didn't have their fancy little typewriters, <laughs> right? It took a lot of effort to put this down in writing. And here he is mentioning it over and over again, a list, a list, not just a summary, but a list, a detailed list. And any time in the Word of God that you see something repeated, means God wants you to pay attention. He is saying, are you, are you listening? Are you getting this? I'm telling you over and over again because this is important. I want you to get this. Why is it important to us? Last Day Events, page 159. The things you have described as taking place in Indiana, this was at a camp meeting at uh, one of our, our church congregations or conferences, the Lord has shown me would take place just before the close of probation. When is that? It's like right, right around the corner. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. There will be, here's the list nobody likes to hear, shouting with drums, music, dancing. And what does this do? The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make right decisions. So at the time where we have to have our minds so fit to, dis to discern the good from the evil, this is when our senses are so benumbed by music that we can't even be trusted to make the right decisions. Going on, a bedlam of noise shocks the senses and perverts that which, if con conducted aright, might be a blessing. The powers of satanic agencies blend with the din and noise to have a carnival, and this is termed the Holy Spirit's working. Those things which have been in the past will be not maybe, will be 
in the future, Satan will make music a snare by the way in which it is conducted. Councils for the Church. I was shown that the youth must take a higher stand and make the word of God the man of their counsel and their guide. Solemn responsibilities rest upon the young, which they lightly regard. The introduction of music into their homes, instead of inciting to holiness and spirituality, has been the means of diverting their minds from the truth. Have we allowed music to become a diversion? Music was created for good, to lead us to God, but the devil knows how to take what is good and make it a snare. And we are bringing it into our homes. Frivolous songs, the popular sheet music of the day, seem congenial to the taste. The instruments of music have taken time which should have been devoted to prayer. Music, when not abused, remember, when not abused is a great blessing. But when put to a wrong use, it is a terrible curse. It excites, but here's, here's what, here's the problem with this. It excites, but it does not impart that, what is it? Strength and courage which the Christian can find only at the throne of grace. You see, sometimes we go to things that we feel like are giving us that high. If you weren't at my presentation yesterday on addictions, I encourage you to listen to it on Audioverse. Because we fill our emptiness, we fill the lack that we feel with things that do not give us what we're really looking for. It's just an emotional high. Whereas it's what we need to do is go to the throne of grace while humbly making known his wants and with strong cries and tears pleading for heavenly strength. Why? To be fortified against the powerful temptations of the evil one. We're talking about surrender. We're talking about giving over what we think is giving us the power and going to the true source. Satan is leading the young captive. Oh, what can I say to lead them to break his power of infatuation? He is a skillful charmer, luring them on to perdition. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to spend time today talking about the different forms of music. That is a question that I want you individually, especially if this is something you struggle with, to go home and to look on Audioverse and look for books and read and study and find out what type of music is it that I should be listening to. Amen. Don't just look at what I shouldn't be listening to, should not be listening to, but look for what should I be listening to. What will fortify me and lead me to the throne of God? Amen. We know that music plays a role in whether or not we will become conquerors. 
whether or not we will have the victory. So let's go back now to our main topic for today. Back to Daniel. Let's look now at what were the losses? What were the losses? Or maybe we should say, who were the losses in this story of Daniel 3? We read this, Daniel 3, verses 2 and 3, so we're not going to read it again. But let's look at the individuals who were at this event, okay? There were many people. We saw the list. There were princes. There were governors. There were sheriffs, rulers of provinces, captains, judges, counselors, and treasurers. And this is sort of my summary of what responsibility these individuals have, okay? Princes, the royalty the royal line, governors were heads of state, sheriffs, county officials, rulers of the provinces were district leaders, captains were military leaders. The military was here. You have a list, you have the royal blood and then you have government leaders. And now you're looking at military leaders, but you also have judges, those who determine the laws of the land. You have counselors, the lawyers, and treasurers, the financial leaders. I mean, who else is missing from this list? Right? Who else is missing? These, are these not the people who run the government, who run the state? They were all there. But was someone else there? Oh, you're, you're not thinking of who I'm thinking. God's people were there? Are you thinking of three certain young men? There were multitudes. Multitudes. Remember, in Daniel chapter 1, let's go back there very quickly. Daniel chapter 1 in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God's people were there, including, very likely, if we were to look and see the history of this king of Israel, you can find it in 2 Chronicles 36, 5 and 6, where it says about King Jehoiakim, he was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned, how many years? 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did what? that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him to Babylon. Who was living in Babylon at the time of the golden image? The king, the leader of God's people. Do you think he was called to this place? Chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3 again. Verse 4, when the herald says his message, 
He says, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. Remember that Babylon brought their captives to their capital city so that they could be part of the kingdom there. So if the leaders from all these nations were here in Babylon, do you think they were commanded to be brought here to worship? So the leader of God's own people. Because of their sins, God's people were captive to Babylon. The royals, the leaders, were among those who would have been summoned. And you have to ask how many of God's people, how many of the mighty men of Israel were lost that day? But as you know, there is always hope. Daniel 3, verse 8. Wherefore at that time, once the music played and everyone fell down to worship, certain Chaldeans came near and accused who? The Jews. They didn't accuse the three that stood. They accused the whole nation because of the three. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. We will skip verses 10 and 11 because it's going back over the music. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set, see they're accusing the king here, thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were brought, and they brought these men before the king. What were the points of attack that these men brought to King Nebuchadnezzar? It was driven by envy, certainly, but let's look at this closely. Verse 12, the end of verse 12. These men, O king, have not not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. There were two points. Service to the king. They have not regarded thee. These men that you set up as rulers... They don't regard you, king. They don't really serve you. Number two, their religion. They don't serve your gods, and neither have they worshipped this image that you have set up. Service and religion, the two points that they were attacked on. The The service to your state, service to God. Going on, these men are brought now before the king. In verse 14 and 15, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at the time of all the music... 
ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Did you notice that he asked them, why don't you worship my gods? And why don't you worship this image? But did, they, did he ask about their service to him? He knew he could not. He had no way to ask them to question their service to him. But he knew that they worshipped a different god. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 507. As the three Hebrews stood before the king, he, the king, was convinced that they possessed something the other wise men of his kingdom did not have. They had been faithful in the performance of every duty. They served their king faithfully, even though he was a pagan king. And the king knew he could not bring any accusation against them regarding their service to him. And because of that, because he knew how faithful they were to him, he would give them another trial. If only, look at the desire in his heart, if only they would signify their willingness to unite with the multitude in worshiping the image, all would be well with them. I don't want you to die, but you've put me in a bad spot. You, I have all these nations here, and if I let you go, they will rebel as well. Please don't make me do this. What is their response? Verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. He will. But... If not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They don't say, look, king, we're still going to serve you, but we serve your king. We serve the king of kings first, and he will deliver us. He will. What in the world could have given them this assurance? How in the world could they say, he will do it? Did, did God tell them, by the way, today, when you're over at this image, did he send them a, a message? Did he send them a, a vision in the night? Not that we know of. But they knew their God, yeah. 
They knew his word and they knew his works. Look at this, Exodus 3, verses 2 and 3. And the Lord, angel of the Lord appeared unto him, this is to Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Here is Moses in a wilderness, and he is called to a bush that does not burn, even though it is engulfed in flames. The bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. You see, they knew that if God wanted a bush to be on fire but not burn, he could do that. They also knew that when the Israelites were walking out of Egypt and through the wilderness, even for 40 years in Exodus 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. God could use fire to light their way if he wanted to. He could make it a pillar that moves. Has anybody else ever done that? They knew the story of King Elijah in verse of prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. And the, the challenge on the mountaintop was, call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of my God, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. They knew that God answers with fire. They knew in 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elijah himself was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. They knew that God could have chariots of fire. They knew, as it says in Deuteronomy 4, for the Lord thy God is, is a consuming fire. You see, they knew that God controls fire. They knew that God could do with fire what he wanted to do, but not only that, they knew that God is fire. Why should we be afraid of being thrown in the midst of God? Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. They knew God's promises, and they said, He will deliver. Prophets and kings, their faith, the faith of these three young men, strengthened as they declared that God would be glorified by delivering them. 
and with triumphant assurance born of implicit trust in God, they added, but if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, we are all going to face this test. We don't know what that fire will be, but we will all be put to the test. Will you worship me, whoever is asking that, or will you rely on the God who promises, I will be with you? No matter what the situation may feel or look like. You see, they knew God. They knew his works. They believed his promises, and then they verbalized it. Amen. They talked faith. And if we just put, keep all of that, those facts and figures about God in our minds, but we do not talk it, we are missing out on the actualization of those thoughts. So we know that once they said these words to the king, his fury increased. Our, when we face people who don't like to hear what we say, they are likely to get even more upset with us. But in Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished after he had the fire heated even more. I don't know how you do that, but heated even more, hotter. And these men are thrown in so much so that the, so that the soldiers who throw them in are killed. But in verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see how many? Four men loose walking in the midst of the fire no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God how did he know what God would look like how did he know that this was the son of God if it were not for those who talked of him and who demonstrated who God is to the king Nebuchadnezzar the king, it's a beautiful story just looking at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar once the Jews come into his life. I encourage you to study that in the book. He, in his time of utter disregard of the God who he knew, because he recognized him when he saw him, he knew about this God, and he disregarded every message that was given to him about this God and said, you will worship who I will worship. You will do what I tell you. God himself comes to him 
and says, look at me. I'm here for you. Look at me. A few years ago, I was working in Guam, a beautiful island, and as it was our Sabbath activity, what we would do was go on hikes, and one of the first hikes that I went on was to a beautiful cove, just absolutely gorgeous. It was kind of treacherous getting down there, but once you got there, it was just so worth it. And so we were just milling about the group of 30 or so of us. And then after a while, I saw a group, a small group, kind of go off to another part. And it, there were some beautiful rocks over there. And I said, oh, how do you get over there? That looks really nice. How do you go, get over there? Well, I didn't know how to get over there, but I really wanted to go. So the church pastor who was with us, he said, oh, just follow me. I'll take you over there. And so I said, all right. And a friend was with me, and we just followed him. And he went through sort of this very old-looking forest part of it. And then he went through these bramble bushes, and then he went over to this rocky formation. And there were times where I could only see his back because he knew where he was going. He was, you know, he was just going. And I just had to struggle to keep my eye on him while I'm climbing over rocks and trees, fallen trees and all sorts of things, trying to avoid the spiders. And I mean, it was treacherous stuff. And when we got to this sort of rocky place, we had to actually clamber over some rocks. And there was a point where I was like, I think I'm going to lose him. And just at that moment, I saw the back of his foot. And I said, that's where he's going. That's where I need to go. I have caught a glimpse of my leader, and I'm going to follow. We have a leader who has been through every situation we could ever go through. And he does not always reveal himself to us in fullness. Sometimes it's just the back of his foot. But he says, follow me. And today, today in the time of the end that we live in, we are to keep our eyes, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to know with a surety, where is he now? There's a lot of confusion in the Christian world about where is Jesus now and what is he doing? We need to know where he is and what he is doing. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Why? Now to appear in the presence of God for you. For me. He is there because of you. Education, page 254. How often those who trusted the word of God, though in themselves utterly helpless, have withstood the power of the whole world. Have you seen those examples in the word of God? 
guess what? They're not the only ones. Such examples are not found in the Bible only. They abound in every record of human progress. Multitudes of others have witnessed to the power of God's word against human power and policy in support of evil. These, she says, are the world's true nobility. This is its royal line. In this line, the youth of today are called to take their places. Are you going to accept that call? Are you going to accept the call to be amongst royalty? And God says, read those stories of the examples of those who have done it before you. You can be among them. Amen. As we close up. Yesterday, I encourage you to listen to the devotional yesterday to hear about from Daniel chapter 1, what were some of the keys to conquering? I'm just going to flip through these to get to today. Keys to conquering. We are called to be faithful even in our secular responsibilities. We should not give anyone an opportunity to say that you just don't do your work well. You are just a okay student. We should not give them any opportunity to disparage our God because of the work that we do. We need to exercise our faith in the little things even in the little things. We need to come to God. We need to know God. We need to believe his promises. And if there's one thing you remember out of this entire presentation, if there's one thing you remember, remember this, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Prophets and King, as we close, page 488. We're talking about surrender because we want, we desire to be a reflection of God. Amen. Here is what is the result. This is how it happens. A noble character is not the result of accident. We're not just going to fall into being a person of good character. It is also not due to special favors or endowments of providence. No one has been given, not a single one of us has been given us special treatment when it comes to character building. We do not have any special, more special grace or skill than anyone else. It's a level playing field. But it is the result of self-discipline, of subjection of the lower to the higher nature, of the surrender of self to the service of God and man. Who do we serve? Are we serving ourselves? 
Are we serving our job? Are we serving our church? Or are we serving God? By serving God, it does not exclude serving others. We must have God-driven service to others in order to truly be serving him. The surrender of self. So as we close today, I want you to think, God, am I serving you? Have I surrendered myself to you in service? Have I read your word? Have I seen the examples of, in, in your word and throughout history that show me what it means to be surrendered to you? Lord, forgive me for not having made those opportunities that you have given me. Forgive me for not doing that which I know is right. But today, Lord, I ask for a renewal. Today, Lord, I believe. I believe in you, and I believe that you can do it, and I believe that you will. If that is your prayer, I invite you to stand with me as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, creator of heavens and earth, who dwells with the lowliest of, one, of, of us, Father, we're just not able to fathom what you want to do with our lives. Lord, as we hear these stories of these mighty men of old, mighty women of old, Father, it just puts us to shame because we see our own sinfulness, we see our lack. But Lord, we pray that today you will make your promises real to us. Lord, that we will not just look at these as stories, but we will look at these as a call on our lives to follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before us because they are following Jesus. And Lord, we want to follow Jesus no matter what. We don't know what the world is going to throw our way, whether it's today, tomorrow, months or weeks or years from now. We don't know, but Lord, we know that you are a God who is a consuming fire. And Lord, no matter where we go, no matter where we are, if we are in your will, you are there with us. We claim your promises. And Lord, we, we present those promises back to you. We, we put them back to you, Lord, and we say, Father, you said it, you don't lie. You will bring it to pass. We ask you to bring it to pass in each of our lives and before it's too late. And Father, give us the love for others 
that we would serve, that we would serve so that they too are redeemed and one, and they too will become part of that royal line. We ask for your blessings throughout the rest of our time together. And we ask, Lord, for a special blessing for each one of us individually. Because you can and you will. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.